Welcome back to the Street and Lawn Podcast. I am Zach. Today, I am joined by Ben Wheland as Pierce is busy doing real-world things. Um, but with that, Ben, how are you doing today? I'm uh, doing wonderful. Doing a little better now that I don't have to watch any University of Virginia football. My Phillies are playing in the World Series tonight. Life is going well. Yeah, I think uh, Ben and I have decided to commentate this podcast and just make it all Philly sports because that is the only thing that is right in the world. Um, jokes aside, UVA football uh, lost to Miami on Saturday, 14 to 12. So we'll be talking about that today. Um, and then basketball. Basketball is six days away as we, as we uh, record this, probably closer to five or even four uh, when we publish this. So uh, we'll do a little bit of basketball preseason, looking at the non-conference schedule, sort of talking about what we want to expect to see um, in, in the first portion of this season. But uh, before we get into that, we're going to get the painful stuff out of the way first and rip the Band-Aid off. Ben, what were your sort of general first takeaways uh, from the Miami loss on Saturday? You know, if you look up the stat sheet for a football game and see that the final score is 14 to 12, in four overtimes after a combined eight field goals and one decisive two-point conversion, I think the mental picture of that game is about what we got from Virginia and Miami on Saturday. It was another incredibly frustrating game, one that the Cavaliers probably should have won. Um, There was that two drives at the beginning of the second half with just missed opportunities, getting down inside the Miami five-yard line taking away three total points from those drives. Obviously, the Grant Mish drop on fourth down was absolutely killer. Uh, Still had a chance to win. Still just needed to stop a Miami offense that had put up three points all game for a victory, and Cavaliers couldn't even do that. And as I think we've become accustomed to, just sort of disappointment all around in this game. Yeah, it was was pretty ugly. I mean, to the extent where... Um, I mean, it was it was family weekend in Charlottesville, but to the extent where it was, you know, Scott was fairly packed for this game. I think it was maybe high 40,000s for attendance, um, which isn't great. But in the grand scheme of this season, it, it seemed like the most um, sort of active crowd uh, yet. And then at the end of regulation, when it was six to six heading into overtime, probably about 10 percent of the fans left just just got up and 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 left and i think that that probably was a perfect um sign of just what this game meant um as you said uh yeah uva just really struggled in the red zone i mean you, you talk about the grant mesh drop you talk about the play calling in inside of the three yard line like xavier brown ran into his own guy he ran into noah josie like just with a gap to his left if he'd broken it off like broken it out wide um and also, like, Brandon Armstrong is just not hitting receivers down the field who are wide open. I mean, on the very first play of the game, we saw like with Dontavion Wick streaking down the field off of a, a double move post route that the coaching staff schemed up perfectly, and Brennan missed him by seven or eight yards deep. And then, I mean, the, the, the Lavelle Davis Jr. long completion, the fact that, first of all, that he can't get in the end zone, and the fact that Brennan is worried about overthrowing a six seven wide receiver sort of just – goes into what the problems are with his offense. He even said after the game that like his focus when he saw Lavelle so wide open was don't overthrow it. And it's just like, 
you, you can't be second guessing yourself like this. Like if there's one person who you think wouldn't be second guessing himself, it's Brennan Armstrong and Lavelle should have gotten in the end zone on that play, but it just like these little things just keep building up and the offense isn't good enough to overcome them. Yeah, this is an offense that at every turn just looks like they don't really know what they're doing or haven't figured out their identity. They just totally lack confidence across the board. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, among Power 5 teams, of which there are 64, Virginia ranks 64th out of 64 in their total offensive grade, 63rd yeah. in pass blocking grade, 62nd in their receiving grade, and 63rd in rushing grade. So there is basically nothing that this Virginia offense is doing well at this point, which it is exactly what you get from watching the game. I mean, against a Miami team that couldn't do anything on offense all game, you have to be able to score more than six points in regulation. And it's just unbelievable every single game, just because this is what this team is now. It's this version of the offense. And it's just incredible after what we watched last year with, essentially the same personnel at least at the quarterback and skill positions to see what this offense has become is really disappointing yeah and I think I woke up on Saturday and not that this means anything but it was just it it seemed like this could be a win it seemed like this could mean something in terms of okay you're three and four you're coming off of a gross but good you know, relatively good win on the road against a conference opponent, ending a three-game losing streak. You beat Miami, you're four and four. You're looking at four games to end the season that are all at least on surface level just winnable. You know, and, and, and we talked about this on the podcast, but you know, you have the opportunity to really get something going and to then lose 14 to 12 at home, to not be able to get the ball into the end zone once all game, despite numerous opportunities, is completely deflating. And, and, you know, Pierce touches on it, but just the apathy that has to be growing within the fan base is serious. I mean, if you can't beat backup quarterbacks, they've now lost at home against backup quarterbacks twice this season. And it's just, it's not like Jake Garcia is, is a Tyler Van Dyke sort of like explosion like last year. You know, this isn't a diamond. He's, he's fine, but you should be able to beat him. And, And granted the defense, played absolutely phenomenally in this game and gave the offense plenty of opportunities. It just, it's the same. We're talking about the same exact thing every single week. It it just, there's, there's not a lot more to say other than that. And outside of a couple of big plays, I mean, you had sort of the long Keaton catch on maybe third and seven to midfield that, that went for 25 yards. You had the Mike Hollins check down and the Lavelle Davis deep ball outside of those three plays what went right for the offense? Because there's no consistent thing that you can count on. And it's what you said with the PFF grades. Like there's no running game that they can count on. Paris Jones turned his ankle. So that's unfortunate. But even with him healthy, you don't have anything that you can rely on on offense. And if you if you get one injury, you know, the offensive line is dealing with injuries right now. Not that it was good before the injuries. But once John Paul Flores goes down and also uh, Tony Elliott t- said today that like, John Paul Flores is like likely to play this week. That dude isn't in a huge left knee brace. And I mean, he's walking, but he's limping. If he plays this week, I feel like that would be a mini miracle. Um, it's just, it's, it's really hard to see this team winning games if you can't. And Miami has a, a 
solid defense. Like they have, it's Miami. So they're going to be able to recruit guys and they have more talented and bigger guys than UVA does. But at the same time, this is not a good Miami football team. And, and we saw that on Saturday and it sort of raises the question of like, what is the goal for the rest of the season? Like is going three and one and, and getting a bowl game actually reasonable? Like, is that, I guess it's what we have to talk ourselves into, but like, I mean, Ben, are, are, is, is that what we're thinking? Are we, are we actually considering that as a realistic possibility? I mean, at this point you've played three games in a row where you got Louisville with the backup quarterback. You got George, Tech with a backup quarterback for most of the game and you get Miami with Jake Garcia as backup quarterback all three of those guys making their first ever major appearances for those teams and those are teams that are not exactly world beaters Miami just lost 45 to 21 to Duke and allowed and they turned the ball over eight times in that game this is a team that has had nothing go right for them and really had nothing go right for them against Virginia and still managed to squeak out a win and to struggle so much against this level of competition, to need a last-second field goal to take down Old Dominion, and to get stomped by teams like Duke that aren't good. I don't see this team really going 3-1 and one against any stretch of four opponents, and I think to have that as an expectation would be wildly optimistic given what we've seen from this team so far. Yeah, and I mean, I think at the very least there is – vt on the road to get excited about so at least there is that sort of you could still end the season on an extremely positive note but at the same time like is is that really what we're going to base our entire season off of is that uv is going to go in and do something that they haven't done while either of us have been alive like if if that is sort of what we've come to with this season and, and coastal carolina isn't great north carolina is good but they don't have a defense and if this was last season's it would be the, if this was last season's UVA team, this would be the exact same game than it was in, in Chapel Hill last year, where it was whatever, 48 to 42, whatever that final score was. Um, and then, like, I, Pitt is mediocre, but don't tell me that we're beating them either. Like, it's just, it's so frustrating because the pieces are there. And and you're watching the you know, I was I rewatched the broadcast after the game and it's like Brandon Armstrong threw for 4,500 yards last season, that that's third in the ACC all time, and to to go from that to this and I don't know I mean we're just repeating ourselves at this point but yeah I mean they, there's just so little to get excited about fortunately, I mean this defense is absurd, and it the fact yeah. that Brzezinski has been able to turn this group around in the amount of time that he's had with the corners and the way that they've played the safeties. I mean, Cohen King and Antonio Clary have been when they've each been healthy, very good. Jonas Sanker has been incredible in the slot. Um, even dealing with lineback injuries at linebacker with Nick Jackson going down, Josh Ahern being banged up. The depth has shown and the defensive line is, is starting to be not a sore spot like it's starting to actually be a strength chico bennett leads the acc in sacks cam butler is up to four um in eight games which is good aaron famui after um having a number of down games where like you know with the penalties where he um you know was was forced to sit in the next couple of games he's come out and had two very good games against georgia tech and uh, and Miami with a with a sack on on Saturday, there might have been more result of, of a schemed stunt, but still it was good against the run. Had a really nice tackle for a loss, and so you say all these really encouraging things about this defense. Where if if you told any UVA fan that at the beginning of the season and said this is what 
the defense is going to look like this season. They're going to be giving up 12 points, man. They're going to give up nine points to Georgia Tech, whatever it is. Not that these are offensive world beaters, as you said, but like you would expect this team to be five and three, not three and five, to be six and two. And that's the team that we thought. And it's not just that the offense has underperformed, it's that the players who you thought were these were these world beaters last season who set UVA record books on fire would at least be, you know, even if, even if the level of production dipped, which would make sense, more of a regression, it wouldn't be this complete just collapse into a lack of, I mean, they didn't get in the, they didn't get in the end zone once, even with, even with two point conversions, like there was just, there was nothing. And yeah, they were close a lot of the time. I mean, Grant Mish's drop, um, the, the Keaton pass to Mish that just barely got tipped. Uh, Wicks on the first two-point conversion, I think, was just like inches away. I thought Holland scored a touchdown. I don't know what that was. I mean, he might have been out at the one-yard line. Um, but it's just at a certain point, it's not just a couple of little plays not going your way. It becomes a theme and it comes repeatable and it becomes, it reaches a point of, you can't expect anything to go better. Like you can't expect improvement. Yeah. It's just, it's tough to watch and it's confusing because it's not things that we had question marks about coming into the season. It's things that we thought would be strengths coming into the season. And I mean, like you look at the offense and Brendan Armstrong has not been good this year. At the same time, he's been dealt one of the worst hands in college football um, he's been pressured 133 times, which is third most in power five, which is something that we were worried about coming into the year. But what's surprising is wide receivers have dropped 27 passes from Brennan Armstrong. There's not another power five quarterback in the country with more than 21 drops. La- Lavelle Davis and Dontavian Wicks have both dropped more than 23% of their targets, which puts them in the top five in terms of highest drop rate among over 350 wide receivers with at least 25 targets. I mean, it's just impossible to play offense like this, especially when you went into the season assuming that your high-octane pass offense could kind of buoy your run attack, even as you tried to become more balanced. You'd think you could fall back on this deep passing game, which was always Virginia's calling card last year. They could always get something going deep. And this year, it's just been nothing. And all the breaks have gone against the Who's. It feels like sometimes you mentioned that tip pass being downed at the one um, on that Mike Hollins play, as you mentioned, the grant miss drop in the end zone. It's just when it comes time to execute in high leverage situations, they simply haven't been able to come through really at all. And it was easy to write it off earlier in the year because we had such a baseline for what this team could be. It's this is who this team is at this point. We've played eight games. It's this is not a good offense. And it's really a shame because as you mentioned, this is a very good defense. And I think that's what you would be optimistic about looking forward, but it's just disappointing all around in my opinion. Yeah. And listen, I mean, so I'm going to bring something up now that I have, there's a very low percent chance that this happens. Tony Elliott has, I think just about dismissed it out of hand without even being asked. But if we're talking, you know, listen, a turnaround is possible. 
turnaround, yeah, it, it, it's still theoretically you could say, okay, this team go three and one, beat Tech, make a bowl game, do something there. And all of a sudden we're looking at a six and six season where you beat Tech and got to a bowl game. And it's like, all right, well, this is what you expect to have UVA football and whatever. I think the more likely scenario is they go something like one and three and it's a complete dumpster fire and they're four and eight. So with that in mind, like, do you at least think about putting Jay Wolfolk in? Like, do, do you, is that even like a consideration? Because I think that it has to be, if you're talking like, if, if this is about building a program, this is about building towards the future. What's the difference between going five and seven and four and eight? Like, wh- why not throw the guy in there? And I think, you know, Brennan is, is amazing. Like he, he, he is a great leader. He is um, tough as nails and I, he's still the face of this program. That being said, he hasn't performed. And if you don't perform, and, and he's had a lot of things going against him, as you said, like, you know, you can't fault him for that. But at the same time, I mean, he's not the future of this program, not to say that Jay Wolfolk definitively is, but why not try and find out for sure, or not for sure, but give him a couple of games to get comfortable where he's not playing against the Notre Dame defense from last season. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is just like wishful thinking and wanting to see like something that could give us hope for the future. But I feel like throwing Jay into the fire or it it just, if you end this season five and seven with a loss to tech, just there's not a lot of good feelings about this program right now. And yeah, it's tough to sort of set expectations for a first year head coach, but it's as we've said a, a hundred times now, he wasn't, he's not rebuilding a program. He's taking over a program that's already been built back up and had something established. So, I mean, Ben, anything on Jay Wolfolk, do you think that's even worth considering or talking about? So I do think it would be useful uh, to get a look at Wolfolk, um, at least in the scheme against some of these teams, which as you said, are not teams that have outstanding defenses. Um, and if you were sort of starting from scratch, I think it might be worthwhile to let Wolfolk just have a shot just to see how the offense looks and really get a look at if he's going to be a good option for you as a starting quarterback next year. Cause you need to know Brennan Armstrong's not going to be here next year and you need to know if Jay Wolfolk can play and it would be better to find out now than to find out later, especially if he can't play. That being said, I don't think there's any way they bench him uh, specifically because of what you said and how much he means to this program. He is a guy who's going to rewrite and already has rewritten most of the Virginia passing records. He's a leader in the program and he's probably the guy with the most respect I would say on the team because of his past performance and being this sort of veteran leader. And I also think there's a concern with throwing Jay Wolfolk into an offense that has so many surrounding parts that are so broken that you might almost be throwing him in a situation to fail. And so I don't think I would do it. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be forcing him into baseball. I wouldn't do it if I were the head coach. I understand why it would be good for the team if we could get a look at Wolfolk, but I would not bench him, bench Armstrong. And I don't think there's any chance Tony Elliott benches Armstrong. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it's just like, at this point, you're looking for positives to take away for this program moving forward, and there's not a lot, you know? And so I think that yeah. that's because coming into the year, it was never going to be like this is this is still Bronco Mendenhall's roster, you know, and that's just how it goes. And so if they won, 
a lot of it could still be discounted as, oh, you know, Mendenhall built it up. The defensive guys were still young and got better and feet stuck around, yada, yada, yada. Um, but ah, I don't know. It just, it, it, there hasn't, there hasn't been a lot of sort of, there just haven't been many positive takeaways. I mean, I write five takeaways after every game and the, I mean, if you've written a couple too, there's just, there's, there's very rarely sort of like exciting things to talk about. Um, but Ben, unless you have anything else uh, to say on football, maybe we can shift over to something a bit more exciting um, in the UVA sports world. And that is the UVA basketball season. Uh, the who's tip off their 2022, 2023 campaign on Monday at 9 PM uh in john paul jones arena against north carolina central uh before hosting i'm pulling up the schedule at the moment i should know who they're playing monmouth uh in game number two on november 11th um so i I think right now what we're gonna you know run through the non-con schedule a little bit and and sort of talk about some of the interesting games that uva has on the slate Ben, what are your sort of overall takeaways from this non-conference schedule that, that UVA is going to play in the first uh, month, month and a half of the season? I am incredibly excited for the start of this season, more so than I think I have been in a long time uh, for two reasons. Number one, I think this team is going to be a lot better than last year's team, and I'm really excited to see kind of how high their ceiling is. But number two, I think is an even bigger reason is that we're going to get a really good idea of how good this team is because this non-conference schedule is no joke. And we will get to the individual games to break them down in detail. But there are four games in particular that are all slated against current AP top 25 teams. And in terms of quality at the top end, I don't think there may not be a team in the country with this strong of a top end non-conference schedule. And I am really, really excited to get into basketball season and see how they stack up against some programs that we know are going to be really, really good. Yeah, and it, it's definitely nice because, like, you looked at last season and it was just – there was so many unknowns. And this year, yeah, there's still a lot of unknowns, but at the very least, I think there's a lower floor – or no, sorry, higher floor for this team, lower floor for last year's team, where you're going to be able to test that ceiling early on. So – Jumping into the the non-con schedule, as I mentioned, um, Monday, November 7th, home against North Carolina Central. I think we can both agree. When? When we got much bigger issues. Um, Monmouth on that Friday. That's a win. That's a win. Northern Iowa uh, the following Monday. Slightly better team, but if we're talking about UVA as any sort of anything, they're beating them by 15 points. Yeah, that's Um, a win. Come on. If any of those games are close, you have bigger issues to be worried about. Yeah. Um, and then we UVA heads out to Vegas uh, with their first game of um, this, you know, midseason tournament against Baylor. I believe they're ranked number five in the AP poll. Um, ben, I know we've talked a little bit. What are your thoughts on Baylor? Maybe maybe not as hot as, as sort of the national media might might uh, presume. So the other week I was talking with Zach about this Baylor game and and I was getting myself very excited because I thought this Virginia team stacked up pretty well against Baylor. Um, And today I was actually writing a preview piece about this game. And as it turns out, I am now incredibly terrified of this Baylor team. They are maybe the best team in college basketball over the past two years. They blew out a juggernaut Gonzaga team in the national championship two years ago. They were a one seed last year and 
maybe could have come back, beaten North Carolina in the second round and moved on. That being said, the one negative for Baylor coming into this game is that they're going to be without kind of their defensive glue guy, Jonathan Chamwachachwa. Um, and as Virginia players know, with, for example, the absence of Isaiah Wilkins, kind of losing that hybrid defensive forward can have really big impacts on your team defense. And for a team in Baylor that prides themselves on their aggressive team defense, it could be a bigger deal for them than I think we might make it out to be. That being said, everything else t- points towards this Baylor team being incredibly good. They are going to return Adam Flagler and Flo Thamba, who are two pretty big stars. They also get LJ Cryer back from his season-ending foot injury last year. And between Flagler and Cryer, that might be one of the best backwards. On top of that, they're bringing in uh, two transfers to kind of shore up their depth and Jalen Bridges and Caleb Lohner. And what really got me scared when I was reading about them today is – five-star recruit Keontae George, who is absolutely deadly, the exact kind of three-level scoring guard that can kill Virginia. Six foot four, just absolutely lethal shooter. Apparently he's looked great in their preseason scrimmages. He was the preseason Big 12 freshman of the year. Will probably go in the NBA draft lottery uh, come next summer. And the way I look at it, this Baylor team just has like one more guy than Virginia has. And I think it will be unlikely for the Hoos to be able to pull it off against this Baylor team. On the other hand, if this really is one of the best teams in the country and Virginia can go out to Las Vegas and beat them, that bodes really well for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think Baylor is a frightening matchup for the, what, fourth, fifth game of the season. Um, That being said, it doesn't hurt to get, kicked like to have your butt kicked early on in the season i think you know i mean you looked at that uh that 2020 2021 team who got just absolutely creamed by gonzaga in like december late december early january and then went on to win the acc um so i think that like this matchup is not going to do uva any harm and that's the good news you know like i I think if anything we find out a lot from this game in terms of the team's flaws and right, exactly as you said, if things go well, even if they just keep this game close, like within a couple of possessions late in the game, we're going to see things that excite us about this team, even if they don't get the win. Um, and then moving on from that, so the other two teams who UVA could potentially play um, in, in the tournament, depending on if they win or lose, uh, is is Illinois and, uh, and UCLA. Um, I believe UCLA is eighth in the AP poll, uh, Illinois 23rd, um, with UVA 18th. This is all off my memory. So if anybody, if people want to call me out, please do. Um, but Ben, do you have initial thoughts on either UCLA or Illinois? Yeah, these teams are a pretty distinct step down from Baylor in terms of how good they're going to be. Um, UCLA is, I think most people are probably familiar with the final four team from two years ago with Jaime Hawkes and Johnny Juzang. Juzang uh, declared for the NBA draft this year, so he's no longer on UCLA, but they still have Hawkes. He struggled with ankle injuries a lot last year and had um, a bit of an Armand Franklin-esque decline from shooting 39% to 27% from three. Uh, he underwent ankle surgery this offseason. Uh, he'll probably be back to his normal self, which is, one of the best shooting fours in the country. 
And he could be a matchup issue for Virginia, uh, especially as a team that really doesn't have anyone well suited to guarding those sort of stretch fours. Uh, they also have Tiger Campbell, uh, kind of their version of Kihei Clark, although a year younger, kind of small playmaking guard, a very good player. And they bring in Amari Bailey and Adam Bona as ideally impact freshmen. That being said, I think they're probably a little overrated at number eight. Um, in terms of depth, I think Virginia has them beat. And I think that's a team that the Hoos could very realistically beat. And then Illinois, I think they have an even better chance at taking down. Because this is an Illinois team that's completely revolved around Kofi Coburn for as long as he was at the school. Obviously, he's not there now. They're going to have to figure something out. Uh, they kind of threw a Band-Aid on the bullet wound that they took by losing Coburn by bringing in Matthew Mayer from Baylor and Terrence Shannon Jr. from Texas Tech, who are probably two of the five best transfers in the country. Some really elite players. They are going to go through some growing pains, though, while switching to whatever new offensive scheme they're going to be running, especially with freshman Sky Clark, a very talented five-star freshman, but a freshman nonetheless, who seems like he's kind of sees the role as their starting point guard. Um, I think things will be a little rougher for this Illinois team, especially early in the year. They might gel later in the season, but they're probably the team at this tournament that Virginia stacks up the best against. And I would probably pick Virginia to be the fighting Illini if that matchup came up. Yeah. I mean, I think bottom line and, and thank you for those breakdowns of these teams. Um, if you guys can't tell, Ben is obviously incredibly knowledgeable about uh, the whole landscape of college basketball. Um, I think that the bottom line for this tournament is it is unlikely that UVA comes away with two wins, but that doesn't really matter because as long as this team isn't losing sort of the James Madison Navy games that it lost last season, even if you go into conference play with three losses, there's not going to be anything in the bad loss category. Um, unless, you know, UVA loses a game to Illinois, then Illinois turns out to actually be a very middle of the road Big Ten team, which I think is unlikely um, just w- with the players that they do have and sort of the, the, the potential that that roster has. Um, that being said, um, continuing with UVA's um, non-conference schedule, they'll come back from um, Vegas to play Maryland Eastern Shore on Friday, November 25th. I think we can all move on past that one. Um, so at this point, I think we're saying UVA has four wins against sort of middling competition that they played at home with the two games. Middling is generous. Yeah, yeah. With, with the two games um, from out in Vegas as toss-ups, if you're five and one at this point, I think you're happy. With the, the season, you have one good win in the books and hopefully a loss that can be a little bit eye-opening. Um, after Maryland Eastern Shore on the 25th, uh, they head to Michigan on Tuesday, November 29th for the ACC Big Ten Challenge, another top 25 matchup for the Hoos. Ben, what are we seeing in Michigan? Yeah, we probably want to savor this one because I'm not sure how much longer the ACC Big Ten Challenge is going to last. Um, Fans will remember last year, Virginia got a really, really good game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, getting Iowa at home in a game that they lost by one point, but I think was really eye-opening for the sort of team that Virginia could be. And I think this game will be a similar opportunity. Uh, We know Michigan was obviously a program with a little bit of tumultuous times last season with the Juwan Howard incident, but one that ultimately 
kind of played above their seed level in the NCAA tournament, making it to the Sweet 16. That team, they do lose quite a bit of talent. They lose Devontae Jones, Musa Diabate, and Caleb Houston. Diabate and Houston, obviously, to the NBA, and then Devontae Jones playing in France now. And losing three key contributors from last year's team and some of their most talented guys, they're going to have an identity crisis to work through. Uh, they do have a few things that, I guess, in comparison to Illinois, give them a leg up in terms of being able to work through it. Number one is that they keep Hunter Dickinson, who was probably their best player last season. And number two, they bring in Princeton transfer Jalen Llewellyn, who is maybe the best pick and roll guard in the country, now paired with one of the best big men in the country. So this game obviously is going to be a very good test for Virginia's ball screen coverages. Uh, we know that's something in the pack line that the who's kind of prioritize. Um, and they really emphasize not letting teams get stuff going out of that. When And I think Michigan is a team that's going to lean very heavily into the pick and roll. So this will be a good early test, especially for Caden Shedrick and Francisco Cafaro to see if they can avoid picking up cheap fouls against a really crafty guard like Llewellyn. And that's really what I think will define this matchup. I think it's a test for the defense more so than the offense. Uh, the only other note I would make is to keep your eyes peeled for uh, familiar face, Joey Baker, no longer at Duke, now a Michigan Wolverine. So we might get to see him pop up with a new blue public university this season. Although that's more of an oddity than a legitimate impact player. Um, this is one that the Hoos have a good chance of winning. It'll also be their first great test on the road. Yeah, the note you made on Chedrick, I think, like, one of the big things, and we'll get into this in a minute, but one of the big things for this non-con schedule is just how good is Caden Chedrick going to be this year. All the hype is is around Caden right now, even coming out of UV's two scrimmages against UConn and Maryland. Um, the limited hype that is put out on Twitter that UVA fights to not let out, but you know, Dickinson versus Shedrick. Like if, if Caden can play 30 minutes in this game and, and handle business against Dickinson, then we've got a, a serious team on, and, a, and a serious player on our hands. Um, and, and, and we're going to start talking about Shedrick as a legitimate breakout player this season. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that, I think if you, if you want to, if you want to talk about UVA as competing for the ACC regular season title, you this is a, a like this should be a win, you know, and, and and just because like it, yeah, it's a challenge and losing it is not by any means um, catastrophic. But this is a Michigan team that UVA, with the experience that it has, with the returners, you should be able to go on the road and beat a good team that is still probably gelling, you know, and, and still probably trying to find itself. Um, so yeah, I mean, with with the the Michigan game out of the way, um, UVA then comes back home um against florida state which i guess we can touch on briefly obviously that's an acc game but they play that on december 3rd um still in the heart of uh non-con play but this is something weird that i think the acc is doing with acc network to try and keep people interested or get people interested earlier um so i guess we, we can touch on florida state you know bad season last year but still upset uva at the end to sort of doom the who's ncaa tournament chances um ben you see a turnaround coming for florida state this year they're gonna be better than they were last year they, they were injured more than maybe any team in college basketball and obviously uh under their current iteration florida state's 
sort of style of getting these really long, lengthy players uh, has given UVA some trouble in the past, as it did last season. Um, they're going to be scarier this year. Uh, it helps that John Butler declared for the draft, and he is now gone because I seem to remember him knocking down a few triples against Virginia. Virginia is also going to benefit from uh, freshman named Baba Miller, who was extremely hyped coming into the season uh, and looked very good in preseason, apparently, for Florida State who just recently received a 16-game suspension for some sort of NCAA recruiting violations. So Virginia won't have to worry about him. So with that chess piece off the board, I feel pretty confident in Virginia being able to pull this one out. Although Florida State is definitely a team to look out for when ACC play comes around. Yeah, I mean, I I think it, it continues to sort of be the trend of there's a couple of games excuse me there's a couple of games here where if UVA handles it's just like okay good team handling sort of like what they should be expected to win I mean not that they should be expected to beat Michigan on the road but like they should be favored in that they should be Florida State um obviously all the games that we mentioned previously and, and hopefully if there is a matchup with Illinois they're they're handling that and so even if they don't get some of these more high profile wins if they can handle business against some of these decent teams then things are at least looking up, especially considering that I think you can bank on this team to improve late in the season. Um, I think that we've seen that over the last three years is that the team has noticeably gotten better because of the roster construction. And I think that, yes, you have returners. So like, yeah, you should be expected to be good out of the gate. But with the new guys filtering in, hopefully come January, February, you're talking about a much better team. And obviously that happens for everybody. But Tony Bennett is good at fitting pieces together as the season goes on. And so even if you're losing, and I, and I said this and now I'm repeating myself, but even if you're losing to Baylor, even if you're losing UCLA, you drop one of Illinois and Michigan, if you can just get some wins under your belt, there's going to be opportunities for this team to really prove itself once ACC play hits. Um, and so touching on uh, UVA schedule after Florida State, they play uh, James Madison, who UVA lost to on the road last season, but now gets... Uh, James Madison at home on Tuesday, December 6th. Um, should we talk about this one? Like James Madison went 15 and 14 last season. They really struggled in conference. Um, you know, they lost in their last, gosh, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In their last like 20 games, they had something like four wins, four or five wins. Um, that's not particularly impressive. You know, Ben, do you have any insight on on James Madison? Is this something that we should, should be chalking up in an absolute win category? Is this a trap game? So the only reason this would be a tra- trap game is obviously because of the rivalry component on it. Of it, uh, James Madison, like statistically, is a team very similar to say Northern Iowa, who we kind of skimmed over. They're both teams that Virginia is projected to be by eighteen, according to Ken Palm. So it really shouldn't be that competitive, but we obviously have to talk about it because this James Madison team dropped off Virginia at JMU last year. This season, Virginia gets James Madison at home. I think we might see the pendulum swing a little bit in the other direction. Obviously, that JMU game last season was just absolutely rabid, packed with JMU fans who absolutely impacted the game and what was one of the biggest games in their program's history and credit to them for a really good victory. I think this year, the story is going to be a little bit different. I think Virginia comes out and stomps them. I think 
the players are going to remember what happened last year and want to avenge it a little bit. And this is a team that Virginia should beat. Yeah, and for some context, UVA lost that game 52-49. to um, They shot 4 for 26 from 3, including 0 for 6 from Armand Franklin, 0 for 4 from Tane Murray, 3 for 9 from Kihei, um, 0 for 2 from McCorkle. A lot of guys actually played in that game, surprisingly. Kihei played the entire game. Um, Jane Gardner another team in points with 12. Yeah, I mean, you knocked down two more threes in that game. And I know we're looking back and I don't remember the game in significant detail, but th- this is a win. I just this, yeah. yeah. This is sort of like what we thought that Duke game was heading into the football season. It's like if you don't win this game, then yeah, then we everything is off the table. Um, and so with that, we're going to go get to our last non conference game that we're going to talk about here. UV also has Albany, um, I believe a week or two, 11 days after, after this contest, but um, UVA stays at home, uh, goes through uh, exam break and then plays Houston after going on the road and losing um, to the Cougars last season. Now host Houston, who uh, is preseason ranked number three in the country, probably the the stiffest test UVA will face in the non-conference Ben. What do you see in this game? Does UVA have a have a chance? Yeah, so the Cougars are currently number three in the AP poll. And in my opinion, that's probably two spots too low. This is most likely going to be the best team in the country this year. Their style of basketball under Calvin Simpson is just unbelievable. Switching everything defensively, just swarming all sorts of athletic defenders with ridiculous wingspans. And last season, what kind of did them in in the NCAA tournament after, of course, upsetting number one seed Arizona. But what did them in when they lost was their lack of a high-level shot maker to kind of put things over the top. Because this is a team that is dominant defensively, will dominate the glass, and they can do all the little things on offense. They finish at the rim well. They re- offensive rebound extremely well, better than almost anyone in the country. But they didn't have that top-tier shot maker. And as Virginia fans will remember from last year, that guy is Marcus Sasser, who is a superstar guard, might be the best guard in the country this year. Uh, Suffered a season-ending injury, unfortunately, about halfway through last season. But he's a guy who put up 19 points, almost all of them in the first half, against Virginia last season in that game where Houston stomped Virginia by 20 points at home. And Houston also, I think their next most notable player probably who they're adding to the mix is going to be Jerace Walker, a guy who is a 6'8 forward, again, in that kind of power forward switch everything role, 7'2 wingspan, ridiculous size, ridiculous strength. And this sort of dude that Houston loves because he will just dominate physically and athletically inside anywhere around the glass. And who also has skills moving the ball in the short role as a role man offensively. And a Houston team that looked like one of the top five teams in the country during the NCAA tournament last year, adding a potential superstar in Walker and a guy we know is a superstar in Marcus Sasser, this team is going to be better than almost anyone else in the country. And if Virginia can keep it competitive or even steal a win at home at JPJ against this team, it will be probably their best one of the season to this point and a really, really good sign for the who's as they move into conference play. If you win this one, I think you're a, it's time to take this team ceiling up a notch. 
I agree. I mean, and, and similar to maybe to different degrees, but because um, Dickinson is not on the same stratosphere as, as Sasser, but as that was a game for Caden Shedrick as sort of a test, and, and we know what Reese is defensively, but Reese on Sasser is is probably what defines this game because Reese can take people out of the equation. You know, we've seen that for him defensively. He can completely stuff guys. That didn't happen. I believe they switched Kihei and Reese on him that in that game last year. I believe they each had opportunities. Maybe Frank, my memory is really lapsing here, but maybe Franklin had some time too. This probably comes down to Reese if he's really sort of like, he was already an elite defender last year. Can he be like, you know, the one of the best, if not the best defender in the country and, and, and try and shut Sasser down. If you do that, then we're talking other than that though, I don't know how UV necessarily makes this a game because the defense still probably isn't going to be at the level that it needs to be to handle a Houston. If we're talking about a 2017, 2018 defense, okay, maybe UVA has a chance, but this offense isn't good enough to go toe to toe with Houston. If we're just trading baskets. Against this team, we'd have to shoot the lights out, I think. Yeah. And you're right about against Sasser as well. It has to be Reese the whole game. Last season, uh, Houston got out to a very early start, kind of jumped all over the Hoos from the opening tip. I think they were up like 15-2 to two or something. And a big part of that was two Marcus Sasser step-back threes that he kind of drilled just in Kihei Clark's eye. It would be wrong to call it bad defense because Kihei was there it just didn't matter Sasser's that good and it has to be Reese on him for 40 minutes or however long Reese is in the game he has to be matched up against this guy otherwise the Hoos are just going to get cooked and I think you're right that even hanging in this game would be a victory in and of itself although it would obviously be very cool to steal a little pre-Christmas break win in front of the home fans yeah, no. I mean, and that's sort of like this story of this non-con. If you can steal one big win, if you could beat um, a Baylor, a Houston, you know, to a lesser extent UCLA, but like stealing one of those three and then hoping to, or, you know, obviously the UCLA or Illinois, that that's, that game is still up in the air, but handling Michigan, maybe stealing a win against an elite top five team, um, and then, and then you know, taking care of the rest of the wins that, that you, you should be expected to win or it's sort of like the sort of can can they be a top 10 elite type of team they can really beat um you know one of one of the best teams in the country and, and obviously that'll flow right into acc play um because uva gets carolina pretty early on i think in mid-january um but we're going to cut the cut the preview the season preview uh schedule so whatever schedule preview short now um and i think that we're each going to give two things that we're looking for specifically in the season opener next uh, on Monday against uh, NC Central. And then also just, you know, can also be broader sort of, you know, what we're, what we're going to be evaluating in the non-con. Um, so Ben, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. I'm really going to be looking at my first takeaway, Kihei Clark, and specifically the way that he's playing. Is he looking to facilitate for others or is he looking to find his own shot? Because I think it's going to be very telling against this team. This North Carolina Central team is a team that Virginia probably should beat no matter how they play. We did see in the blue-white scrimmage, Kihei looking to like almost aggressively defer and put the ball in the hands of some of his wing players, some shooters, and his big men and get them open looks uh, almost to a fault, barely shooting the ball but recording double-digit assists. 
Uh, whereas in games last year, I think sometimes we saw the opposite almost, especially at home with Kihei sort of hunting his own shot a little more frequently than we would have liked. I think the best example of that came in the final regular season home game against Florida State, where he obviously had a rough go of it, and Virginia loses on that circus shot at the end of the game. But I think just his mindset, um, is he looking to get himself going? Is he looking to get others involved? Will be telling for the way he's approaching this season and if he's going to be taking a step back in terms of how much he's handling the ball, maybe how much he's on the court, or if he's going to be that same offensive engine that he sort of was at times last season. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think in a similar vein, um, I want to see guys outside of Reese Beekman and Kihei Clark, not maybe not initiate offense, but create for themselves. And 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 Jaden, obviously we know Jaden can, can create for himself, but outside of those three, can others create offense? Because, you know, in, in the in the UVA mover blocker offense, there are opportunities for all five guys and specifically all three guards to really attack and to really sort of, you know, try and, and score for themselves or at least get the defense moving. And I think that part of the problem with last year's offense was that, Reese and Kihei were the only two who could do that. And they weren't, yeah, Kihei, but he's also a 5'8 point guard. Like those guys weren't trying to create for themselves. So can Isaac McNeely get something going? Can he force the defense to rotate um, beyond just being an outside complimentary shooter? What can Tane Murray do? He's got some physicality. How can he apply sort of his skills as a driver? Is Ryan Dunn going to show something? Obviously the, the red shirting thing, you know, he, he could still be red shirting, but could Ryan Dunn show something? Um, maybe Isaac Trout in the Caden in the post, like is Caden going to be a legitimate post presence this season? Is there anything there that, that we could sort of get for this team? Does Armand add an element to his game um, as more of a scorer? So that's something interesting that I think um, applies to sort of the ceiling of this team. Obviously like UVA is going to win this game, um, but you know, and, and obviously three point shooting is something to, to point to, but can other guys create for themselves? Is there something, is there potential there for a more balanced offense that, that could perform against UNC in January, against Duke in February? I think you UVA plays UNC again in February as well. Like, are there going to be more pieces to this offensive puzzle to perform in February, March, and, you know, maybe even April? Ben, you have another one? Yeah, I think in line with the broad concept of looking for guys who can contribute more. I think this is a great game for some guys who might not be penciled in already into the roster come March or maybe come April to really make a statement because against lower levels of competition like this, that's where you can really show off as a player who's kind of in the middle or on the end of the roster. And given what I saw in headlines this summer, uh, in high school play, and in the blue-white scrimmage, I think the guy that I'm going to be looking at the most is Isaac Trout, incoming freshman, a guy who I am extremely excited about. Here's a, a guy who is not a good shooter as a big man. He's a big man who can shoot the ball, but he's a good shooter in general, almost more reminiscent of a Sam Hauser type than a Jay Huff type in terms of the fluidity and the motion of his shot. He knocked down four of five attempts in the blue-white scrimmage uh, and even attempted one that went in and out off a step back. That Just a crazy shot that a dude of his frame shouldn't be able to attempt. And 
he's skinny. He's going to get pushed around against stronger competition a little bit. That kind of comes with the territory of being a freshman. But I am really, really excited to see what Trout can do offensively and what he can maybe grow into for this team. And I'm hoping that we get at least a glimpse or two at what that is in this opening game against NC Central. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. If if Trout is a guy who can actually give you minutes on this team, then that changes stuff for the offense. Um, and, you know, it's hard to evaluate. It's hard to sort of pinpoint things that you want to look at in a game against a team that's probably bottom 100 um, in college basketball out of 358 or whatever it is. Um, and so I'm trying to think, like, yeah, Caden, but at the same time, Caden should be able to clean up against most of these sort of bottom-tier non-con opponents. Um, really, it would be really nice to just see the defense completely dominate. Like, it would be really nice if we could just go, like, eight minutes without a bucket from NC Central. Like, can, can you just hold them to a Tony or, whatever, like, fewer than 20 points in the first half? Like, can can they just be absolutely dominant on that side of the ball and, and just put this game out of question in the first five to ten minutes? I think that would be a good sign. And obviously not going to be able to replicate that against teams like Houston um, or Carolina. But, but just starting with that could be sort of a sign of – oh, wow, this team really has grown on the defensive end. Oh, okay, they could actually be a, an elite defense this season. Um, and so if, if you see that, then I think that's something pretty encouraging. Obviously, you know, three-point shooting is huge, but I think that that is typically going to – typically your shooting is going to look good against a bad team if the defense is absolutely on point um, against a bad team. I think that you can take a little bit more away in terms of like, all right, this is going to be a little bit more consistently applied against even better opponents, even if it's not the same success, it's the same sort of effort, it's the same sort of quality of defensive play. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think that's all we got today. Ben, you have anything else to uh, to add on uh, on on you know we got six days till basketball. You know anything more? I do not. Uh, I will remind people that the Philadelphia Eagles are undefeated, the only undefeated team in the NFL. But other than that, I have no notes, no comments, specifically zero notes or zero comments about UVA football, which I enjoy the last 20 minutes because we haven't been talking about it. But yeah, yeah, that's all I got. Same. Um, so with that, thank you all for listening. Um, we will be back with another episode of the Street Lawn podcast next week talking about the first basketball game of the season and um maybe we'll talk about football maybe we won't i think we'll see how things go and, and see how we're feeling after uh these two teams play against uh north carolina opponents maybe a little bit of women's basketball talk after they get their season started um on on monday as well um and, and be sure to stay tuned to the blog we've got tons of preseason basketball content uh coming down the shoot in the next couple of days as we get closer and closer to the season opener. Um, and with that, thanks again for listening and go Hoos. Mm-hmm.